Hey everyone, Dr. Chris here from the Dead TV Podcast. Do a little disclaimer before the episode starts. We were supposed to have director Tom McLaughlin on the show with us, who directed the second episode of the two episodes you're going to hear me and Mr. Zeneca cover, Masters of the Disguise. He was also the director of Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. He had been on my show, Dr. Chris's Radio of Horror, before in the past, and I'm going to leave a link to it on the Facebook page for the Dead TV Podcast that you can hear his original interview. Unfortunately, the interview that we did was nothing but noise. I don't know what happened during the recording of the 10-minute interview talking about Masters of the Skies, but we weren't able to save it. But Tom is going to come on the show uh, for the beginning of Season 3, and we will talk about the Season 3 premiere of Friday the 13th series. So when you hear in the episode we were going to have an interview with him, we were. Unfortunately, it was lost. I apologize for that. I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thanks, everyone. This program is sponsored by Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. To the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV series in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I'm your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zenia. And we continue our coverage of Friday the 13th, Season 2, with two episodes, Episodes 5 and 6. Before we get to those episodes really quick, we had an email from Lisa out in Montgomery County, Maryland, asking us if we were going to cover three specific TV series. Freddy's Nightmares, which unfortunately is not on DVD, so we won't be covering it anytime soon unless it gets a DVD release. On top of the fact, that show is impossible to sit through. (laughs) It's it's pretty dull. Uh, It's pretty dull. Uh, Even the episode directed by Toby Hooper, which was the trial of Frederick Krueger before he became the Dream Master. Um... Reaper, which was a CW TV series starring Ray Wise as the Devil, which we will get yes. to eventually. Awesome show. And The Exorcist, which unfortunately just got canceled on the Fox Network. Uh, and I also said, eventually. So we will get to those shows eventually. But thank you, Lisa, for emailing in. And also thank to everybody who liked and shared and commented on our guest uh, last week, or the week before last, Jim Henshaw, uh, a writer for the show, an executive producer who will be back on the show with us. 
uh, he posted about the show and coming on, and then one of the show's stars, John D. LeMay, who plays Ryan the Lion, reposted it, and it had a huge boost in our ratings and people downloading and checking us out on iTunes. All of the iTunes bars for the Friday the 13th episodes are all the way to the right. So I don't know how those algorithms work. Someone (laughs) told me that when the bar on iTunes fills all the way up, that means it's over 100 downloads. That's what I was told. That's all the thing I was told is that if it's really low you're not you're only getting a couple downloads here and there. But if they but if the bar goes all the way black, then a bunch of people are downloading the episode on iTunes, but they don't tell you how many people are downloading it. The only way to figure that out is if you have your own algorithms on your website, which we do. And that had like 300 downloads for the first episode of season 2. The other episodes throughout the se- th- the first season before we did Spawn also had a bunch of coverage too. So, thank you to Jim and John for reposting about the Dead TV podcast's coverage of Friday the 13th, the series. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners. We really appreciate it, and, you know, we enjoy what we're doing, and we're hoping you're enjoying our, our journey with us. Stay tuned for the end of the episode, where I will have a 10-minute interview with Tom McLaughlin, the director of Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives, and the director of the second episode that we're covering uh, tonight. Master so, of Disguise, I believe it's called. Yes, Master of Disguise. Yeah, so Tom will be on with me for about 10 minutes talking about that. And you can check out an entire 50-minute interview I did with him about Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, as well as the Friday the 13th video game that he had a hand in helping develop the content for on the Radio Horror YouTube channel. Um, and or, if you don't want to watch the video, because it is a 50-minute long interview, you can also go to dreadcentral.com and just type in Tom McLaughlin, Friday the 13th, Part 6, where I have a 10-question Q&A interview with him for the 30th anniversary of Part 6. So check that out, and check out the the end of tonight's episode, so stay tuned for that. Mr. Zedeka has the episode synopsis for us. All right. Uh, Today's episodes are Symphony in B-Sharp, Originally aired October 31st, 1988. Wow. Mickey and Ryan investigate a series of murders at a concert hall, only to discover that a violinist who is presumed dead may in fact be alive. I'm surprised you didn't say that the episode aired on Halloween in 1988. Well, yes, I was going to mention that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but that's kind of unique that the epi- that Friday the 13th uh, aired on Halloween. Aired on Halloween and uh, basically features someone that's dressed up like a scarecrow. Uh, kind of, yeah. Yeah, or the villain from uh, Nightbreed. Yes, that too. Um, that too. You but, know, the kind of leather masky thing covering his skin. And who played that villain in Nightbreed? In Nightbreed? Yeah. Oh, David, uh, what's Director David Cronenberg. Yes! Who directed an episode in season one. Yes, I love that episode too, by the way. Yes. So David Cro- so a little bit of an homage to David Cronenberg, but according to Lisa's Wax's uh, book, uh, The Curious Goods Guide to the Friday the 13th series, there's not a mention of that happening, so if we ever get someone that worked on that episode on the show, maybe we can ask them. Uh, but uh, who stars, who's the guest stars in this episode, as well as the writer and director? <laughs> okay. Uh, this episode was directed by Francis D'Elia, and write, written by Carl Binder, the teleplay, and Peter Mohan for the story. And features uh, 
special guest, James Russo, who that plays Janos Korda, the one in the mask, and Eli Puget, uh, which plays Leslie Rains, the ingenue of our episode. Ooh. The director of the episode has worked uh, up until 2008, and then he kind of stops but comes back uh, for something that's coming out. But he worked on a lot of Weird Al Yankovic stuff, and he also directed uh, four episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. Awesome. But I love Weird Al. Yeah, he's a Weird Al uh, director of uh, music videos and, and, and Weird Al content as well. So Well, one of, one of the fun facts that I kind show. of noticed about our two featured guests on this episode is both of them starred on Miami Vice. Yes. In 1985. Yeah. That that is that was uh that was kind of interesting. Um Peter Mohan who was the uh story writer, I, I don't know what the difference is between the teleplay and the story. Uh so I guess maybe one wrote it, one came up with the story maybe. Still works today and has done it worked on everything from Orphan Black to The Lost Girl to The Bridge to uh my favorite show Mutant X um and Erie Indiana. Cool. Executive producer of a lot of this stuff. Uh writer on uh Orphan Black, Lost Girls, Blood Ties, which if uh which I have been asked about if we're going to co- uh cover Blood Ties, ran for two seasons on Lifetime and was actually a really good vampire show. Hmm. Um, we may give some love to we'll, Lifetime. <laughs> we'll put it on the dartboard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> James Russo has like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 projects in pre- or post-production right now. Oh, my God. He's like everywhere. He's it, a, it's crazy. He's a serious actor. Uh, one of the things, of course, he got his start in was working on uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, he's got uh, CSI episodes. I mean, every year it seems that he's got at least four or five different productions, you know, since the you know early 80s, pretty much. Carl Binder, um, the, other, the, other, the other writer that we mentioned, worked on a show that I think we should definitely cover, and we will get through it very quickly, is Houdini and Doyle. Only ran for one season on Fox, but I loved that show. Uh, only you know, wrote... I've never heard of that one. Uh, it was about Harry, It was about the friendship between Harry Houdini and um, Th- Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and they would team up with a hot female cop to fight and solve crimes <laughs> in the supernatural. <laughs> that didn't last longer than a season? What? But of course, it, it, it was the other thing. It was on Fox during the summer. That should have been renewed for another season, but Fox is like, what are they doing? I mean, they're selling to Disney, so they're not going to be creating content like this anymore, so we don't have to worry about them canceling something every five minutes. But, yeah, I really enjoyed Hoyde, uh, Doyle and Houdini. Again, it would be very quick for us to get through it because it only lasted one season of ten episodes. But this guy's <laughs> also worked on every single Stargate spinoff show, Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. Wow, okay. Yeah, so... Yeah, if, not, if there's any sort of occult information in that Houdini show, I'd be really interested in covering it then. Uh, yeah, there there is. Um, it, it, I thought it was, again, I thought it was an okay show. We will never be covering Stargate. Stargate has enough podcasts dedicated to it, on top of the fact the shows ran. I mean, Stargate SG-1 ran for ten seasons. It wasn't as much canceled as, like, okay, we're, we're ending the show. <laughs> yeah, Atlantis yeah. wasn't canceled either. They just decided to end it after six seasons. But uh, Universe was canceled after two seasons and left on a big cliffhanger. 
Well, the uh, ingenue, uh, Eli, she actually was on Dark Shadows television series as Maggie Evans. In the 90s? Yeah, in 1991. Okay, so the revival show that they did, that only lasted for one season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, what city do we open in at the beginning of this episode? (laughs) Well, we actually open in a symphony hall. And right from the get-go, Mickey and Ryan are in the symphony hall listening to it and Ryan is taken with uh, the second chair violinist. Like but, she's beautiful and she's playing her music and then we see behind the scenes and there's a janitor washing the floor and you know then suddenly uh, a bow comes out and this creaky stringy violin sound like his nails on a chalkboard the re- trying to get this uh, janitor over to him. The reason I ask what city we open in is because the outside shots of the uh, symphony hall and the span of the city looks like New York. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. Although it was, wasn't was identical. Not not that I could uh, identify. Mm-hmm. Location is always weird with the show. Could be anywhere. Yeah. The Phantom has a violin and wears a mask. The janitor is killed by the violin. Now, my only problem, again, with the MacGuffin of this episode is... Like, the music should, like, I don't know, maybe burst out your eardrums and, like, hurt your brain or something. You know, not... <laughs> okay, so the, the... What is it called? An ubu? Is that what the uh, the the piece you use to string the violin is? Uh, I'm, I'm not really that all that familiar. I own a violin, but I have yet to actually begin playing it. You own a violin. It needs repairs. You own a violin, but you don't know what the piece is that's used to No, play. no. It was given to me. And it is broken, and I have yet to actually go to a repair shop to fix it. And once I fix it, I will then get lessons, and then I'll learn all this stuff. Uh, the strings are sounded either by drawing the, the bow. It's called a bow. Oh, that's what you're looking for? Yeah, that's what I was trying to find. What is the thing that you use to play the violin with? I thought you were talking about a different piece, man. No. What what do you play? What is Lindsay Sterling? You know who Lindsay Sterling is, of course. Uh, plays her violin with when she's rocking out with her music videos. Well, she has an electric violin. Yeah, but she's still rocking out with music videos on a violin. How many artists do you see doing that today? In fact, how many artists do you see making music videos today? Well, actually, qu- quite a lot, really. None. There is no, no MTV or VH1 making music videos. Okay, it's no, all, no, no. You it, have to you have to stop considering. MTV actually music video television because it's they don't play music videos anymore. But bu- music videos are still being made. Barely. I mean, when was the they're last... on YouTube? Yeah, but they're being played by independent artists. They're being made by independent artists like Lindsey Sterling. There's not like we don't have the days of like huge, you know, set piece music videos being directed by like you know uh, Joel Schumacher or something or or. Um, you know, David Fincher, you know what I mean? Who are people who, like, you know, these... That made a music video look like a miniature little film. Uh, I think, what was it? Uh, I don't 30 think... Seconds to Mars had had one recently. Was it and like then a... Childish Gambino had this amazing music video for This Is America. What did they do in it? Don't tell me you did not see This Is America by Childish Gambino. No. If you haven't, Google it, be amazed. It is an amazing political and uh, sociological symbolic video. Oh. And it even has 17 seconds in it to honor uh, the shooting victims from that uh, school shooting in Florida. 
So as the violinist uh, Leslie is playing, she starts hearing someone else's violin, kind of like, you know, the Phantom of the Opera, which is basically what they're doing. They're doing Phantom of the Opera, um, but with a Beauty and the Beast kind of thing. That That's what the whole plot line of the episode really is. Um, Ryan tries macking on this girl, Leslie, but has no game whatsoever. No, no, like they wake up in bed together. Uh, not at the beginning. Well, not at the beginning. No, that's that's later in the episode. Yeah, Ryan later scores in the episode. Yeah, he he he. They they bang, but they don't have anything going on until before that. But he's like persistent in trying to pursue her. And immediately, Mickey is, you know, she suspects that there is some sort of foul play because Ryan is acting as if he's hypnotized, but he's not hyp- hypnotized really. Those he's just, just entranced by her beauty. Ryan and Mickey just need to bang and just get it over with. Because, no, uh, no, okay, no, listen, no, right, listen, okay. In this episode, <laughs> you have Mickey jealous of Ryan. In the next episode, you have Ryan jealous of Mickey's uh, boyfriend, the guy that she sleeps with. It's like these two just need to have a drunken <laughs> night together and get it over with. They're third cousins. <laughs> Hasn't anyone seen Game of Thrones? No spoilers, but there are two. Um, let's just say blood relatives who just recently banged on that show, and I'm not going to give away who it is. If you've seen, oh, the... and then you wake up with a whole pile of regrets. Yeah, <laughs> if you've seen the season finale of Game of Thrones this year, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, yeah, yeah, I know uh, exactly what you're okay, talking about. Okay, we're not going right. to spill any more details about that. Um, you know, that, yeah, that in this episode, poor, Ryan poor, gets some. In the poor, next episode, Mickey gets some. That poor, pretty balanced. Poor, poor dragon. Oh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Now, of course, you just said to me earlier this week that John D. LeMay is listening to these podcasts and it's bringing up great memories for him, so he's considering coming on the show. So now he's going to hear that and just be like, no, I can't do that podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> so I'm not too salacious here. Okay, so uh, I wrote down in my notes, uh, Jackie and Mickey find out the violin was sold by Uncle Lewis. And as Ryan and Leslie are having dinner together, Ryan walks Leslie home but starts hearing the music of the Phantom as he's spying on Leslie. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the episode, Leslie is the Phantom's ex-wife. Or the Phantom uh, is her late husband. Ex, ex-student and lover. ex-lover. Yes. Um, also, word to the wise, once again this episode will be entitled You Don't Fall in Love with Ryan DeLion. <laughs> Just no luck, no luck at all. Do you know what happened to the voodoo priestess? She's probably dead. <laughs> um, the uh, the Amish girl from last season, she probably fucking killed herself. <laughs> uh, it's it's sad to laugh at that, but did you ever have you seen the YouTube videos? Zach Morris is trash of Saved by the Bell. Yes. At the end of every one of those episodes, they go, and we never see this person ever again, because they probably fucking killed themselves. Zach <laughs> Morris is trash. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. All the lives that Zach Morris has ruined, yeah, that would drive a person to commit suicide. And we're not making fun of it. In real life, if this happened to somebody, if they ran into oh, the serious people, yeah. they would fucking kill themselves. There's some horrible shit that happens in this series of Friday the 13th. If you're not being chased by a maniac in a hockey mask, then it's cursed objects by the devil, which is worse. Uh, I mean, the, the, the psycho killer in the hockey mask, at least you can try to get away. 
uh, cursed objects, you can be cursed and have your soul, you know, under the potentiality for being, you know, into hell by just using an object and you don't even know what what it does or how it came to be. In Elise, they, they never really explain that. In Elise's book, she mentions that she does not like that Ryan gets the girl after one day in bed with him. She was in a very delicate frame of mind. I don't want to be know? alone tonight. Come sleep with me. I, I have to say I've done that, so Whoa. You know, I give her some credit. <laughs> I think we've all walked the walk of shame in the morning. Sometimes it works out for us, sometimes not so much. They definitely had sex over to her place because that was not his little corner uh, bedroom outside of Mickey's room. Yeah, Mickey would be banging around. Keep it down in there! <laughs> I haven't gotten any in the, since last season. <laughs> Don't worry, yeah, Mickey. Yeah, the FBI agent. <laughs> yeah, the FBI agent. Don't worry, Mickey. It's coming soon. It's coming very, very soon. So one thing that this violin does is that it allows the... What's his name? Yost. Uh, Janos, Janos, to actually live and play where his body has been broken, burned from the auto accident. Now, what was really interesting is Leslie ends up giving the violin to uh, Janos, not knowing that the object was cursed. And yet the same day that she gave it to him, he got into a huge accident and then burns you know, his entire body and so when he takes off his mask at the end of the episode and you see his burned flesh, which I kind of thought they would do something that may, was reminiscent of, like, Deadpool's burned skin, but they, they made it a little bit more severe, a bit more gray in, in the makeup. He looked a lot uh, more like but, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, a little bit more like that. So she gives him the violin. He gets into the accident. He then needs to use the violin in order to gain back the skill that he had before the accident. So... Definitely one of those monkey paw type of type of cursed objects by the getting of it is actually your demise. I, again, still think that the uh, violin should have like played some music that kills you, not the uh, bow stabs. He stabs people. It's yeah, the stabbing not very with the... creative with how they came up with how these people die with the object. The music should have killed you. Or enchanted you to do something completely out of character. Or, you know, it, it, it should have been like the pipe that uh, Ryan's father used. The smoke from the pipe kills oh, yeah. you. That was actually smart. This is not as smart, I think. Certainly leaves bodies everywhere. Yeah, definitely. There is a dream sequence in this episode. Uh, Leslie actually has this dream sequence where she sees uh, Janos on stage and then he bursts into flames. Right. We don't get a lot of dream sequences in the show. Um, I mean, unless you count when Ryan and Mickey went to hell or Limbo or wherever the hell they went that Uncle Lewis sent them. Yeah, but that's not really dreaming. That's, you know, you have been transported through a portal. Also, um, I think it's this episode that um, Rajee gets mentioned. Yes, Rajesh yeah. Rajid gets mentioned. Ra- Rashid. 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 He doesn't return, but he's mentioned by Jack. So he, he may. I, I don't know or remember if he gets mentioned again, but uh, he's still alive. So good on him. He didn't. Uh, he, here's the thing. He didn't sleep with any of our cast members, so he'll stay alive. 
<laughs> Sorry, it's yeah, true. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you don't date Jack yeah. because you, you either know, got the dick of death or the or the deadly vagina. I'm sorry, but everyone who's slept with anyone on this show has pretty much, with the exception of Lloyd. <laughs> but isn't that the trope of horror movies? Is that uh, no, if you sleep with someone, supposed, that's yeah, immediately marking you for death? Yeah, you're both supposed to die, but they can't kill off their three main characters until at least season three. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I do love how she says, for a long time I was empty, and I put down in my notes, for a long time I was empty inside my vagina. (laughs) You were just rushed, I'm sorry. Is that too much? I don't mean to offend anybody, but come on. She leaves herself open for that, basically. Like, I was empty inside for a long time, and you filled me up. I I do admit that was a bit... Uh, clingy. Yeah. To actually say after knowing someone for you know the short time and having you know one tryst with them. Oh my god, I'm sorry, but it just leaves herself open up to, for for ridicule with that ridiculous line. True. True. Uh, uh Now the what I kept thinking in my head watching this episode is the disguise itself. Um, being maybe made out of leather or something. I think it's just like a banded, like a, um, yeah, I don't know. It was more than just bandages. It was like, it was like a full hood. I don't know. I don't think it was leather. I just. No? No. I I just, it was some type of, you're right. It's some kind of full hood. I just didn't think it was like leather. Um, this show definitely lends itself to uh, to ridicule to be poked fun at in the most humorous ways possible. Um, you cannot take this show that seriously. No, no. And it is very serious. I think it is much serious, much more serious than the Friday the Thirteenth movies, which became very cliche by nineteen eighty eight. Because I think at this point we were up to so this aired in nineteen eighty eight, right? Yep. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm just edit just teeny bit I gotta just look something up real quick okay so um, October September August July June May okay so six months prior to these this episode airing or at least maybe five months prior to season two starting um, Friday the 13th, Part 7, A New Blood, had come out in theaters. At mm-hmm. this point, people were losing interest in the Friday the 13th franch- film franchise. The following year, Jason Takes Manhattan would come out, and a lot of people hate that movie. Uh, because, yes, Kane Hodder does play Jason Voorhees in this, but, I mean, this is the movie where Jason fights a chick with psychic powers. At that point, we are basically run out of ideas. Yeah, jump the shark. And he hasn't even gone to hell or space yet, and at that point, it's basically called Carrie versus Jason. Um, this is the point, Friday the 13th, the, TV, the movie series had gotten ridiculous, and one more film would be the final nail in the coffin, and Paramount would sell the franchise to uh, New Line Cinema, which is the house that Freddy Krueger built. Um, but at this point, Friday the 13th, the series was still being very serious with their tone and coming up with original ideas every single week, so... I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, mm-hmm. But there are times when the dialogue in this show is just so bad. 
and this line for a long time I was empty inside is just one of them. <laughs> I mean, they they try to build the romance with these characters up sometimes like too much. We don't need that much romance. I mean, I know it's a big reason why people don't like the CW superhero shows is because the romance is ridiculous on those shows sometimes. Um, well, I, c- I could understand why Ryan kind of gravitates to these beautiful women and all that. Every single episode that he has some sort of love interest, we see kind of that pain of him being alone. And so that kind of desperation to have someone in his life that he can care for over and above the people that he, you know, that he's related to and works with because they're put in mortal danger all the time. So he's going to lose them at any moment. And he wants something that's stable and will fulfill him in that romantic side uh, sense of of, uh, life. So I can understand why he would be, uh, you know, trying so hard to to hold on to something that is totally unrelated from this whole cursed objects drive. Yeah, I mean, we know that he lost a brother. We lost he lost his mother. He and lost course, his dad. And he he lost his dad on the show itself. And Mickey, I think we get into her parents soon. I I, I remember her parents are going to come up very soon. And Jack is um doesn't he's a really, father figure. Yeah, he's a father figure, and he doesn't have any. He had a son that died. His wife is dead, and I'm assuming his parents would probably have been be dead by oh, now. Yeah. I mean, Jack yeah. is supposed to be like in his fifties or forties, so. Uh, at least in his 50s, I think. So uh, I don't know how old Chris Wiggins was at the time. I mean, we could probably look that up considering how old he was when he died last year. I'm, so, I'm sure it's pretty safe to assume that his parents have already passed on by now. Correct. But I do know there is an episode coming up uh, that's going to get into Mickey's family. So uh, whether or not they live or die, we'll get there when we get there. So um, I thought it was sweet that the uh, earlier in the episode a record is played uh, for Ryan Based on a uh, a famous compo, you know, famous violinist, violinist, who of course it happens to be the murderer, uh, you know, possession of the cursed object. And at the end mm-hmm. of the episode, when Leslie has died, because uh, she takes the base of the bullet for Ryan, um, she uh, puts out, you know, she put out like a last song, and and Jack plays it for Ryan to give him closure. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a beautiful piece. It's actually very sweet and sad, uh, and... We're not completely heartless on the show. There is some touching <laughs> moments there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, you feel for Ryan. You feel what he's going through. You know, the, t- the type of, I just had it, and now I've lost it, over and over and over again. It's really, like, heartbreaking. Yeah, definitely. Um... Let's, uh, that, that's pretty much it. Um, you now, we, we asked this question earlier. How many people died in season one? Okay, well, in season one, I counted. Now, this is an approximate because this is going through my notes. And, you know, whether or not you count certain people as being dead or alive or not, you know. But, disclaimer aside, season one had 108 bodies. Wow. In season two so far, we're now, uh, at the end of these two episodes, we're at 22 bodies. Jesus Christ. Now, I think in the Crystal Lake Chronicles, which counts Friday the 13th, part 1 through 
uh, Freddy vs. Jason, which, if you've never read this book before, um, I want to find the insert about the Friday the 13th TV series, because they do talk about the Friday the 13th TV series, and the Crystal Lake Chronicles documentary, which is an exhaustive documentary covering every Friday film, 1 through 12, which 12 being the remake, they do have a chapter in there for about 20-so minutes or whatever, talking about Friday the 13th, the series. And then, of course, when we get to Jason Goes to Hell, they interview John D. LeMay, because he's in he's in that film too which we will have some coverage of eventually when we finish the show or at least season two uh we will do a uh film dungeon commentary for uh jason goes to hell um and our commentary for spawn the anime uh spawn the movie uh dedicated you know in conjunction with spawn the animated series is coming i just couldn't find my copy of the film to watch today to record it so uh, yeah boo you boo yeah um uh, <laughs> Object in question, I've never owned a violin. You said you already had one, so we pretty much covered that. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and play the promo for the next episode, and we'll be back on the Dead TV Podcast. Beauty is only skin deep. I feel proud. But terror goes straight to your soul on Friday the 13th. He's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. A ladies' man with looks to die for. You know that every one of his films someone dies accidentally? See how love at first sight becomes a fatal attraction for Mickey. On an all-new episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Tonight at 11 on WXXA. Beauty is only skin. And we're back on the Dead TV Podcast with Episode 6 of Season 2 of Friday the 13th. Okay, Episode 6, Master of Disguise, originally aired November 11th, 1988. Mickey learns beauty is only skin deep after she falls for a mysterious movie star who relies on an antique makeup case. Now that's kind of cool because he, um, getting right to the MacGuffin in question, a, uh, they use the MacGuffin, the, the makeup case, the way it needs to be. You know, it, it like restores him, but then he has to kill people in order to, you know, appease the curse. Now, my only problem with it slightly is that if he had been a makeup artist that did makeup for other people, and he used the makeup case to help benefit him and kill them with it, obviously that wouldn't quite work out. So I let that go in favor of what they were doing. But he's using it in a way that's uh, very reminiscent of a character called Clayface, who's a Batman villain. Yes! Uh, in the Batman animated series, Feats of Clay, Part 1 and 2, uh, he's a makeup artist who disguises himself as Bruce Wayne and frames, frames Wayne for a crime and uh, assaults Lucius Fox. And Wayne is arrested at the end of the episode... But uh, Matt Hagen is also doing dirty jobs for the mob, and the mob doesn't like how he's not doing it like the way they want him to, so they pour his super-duper clay stuff all over him. And at the end of the episode, of part one, his friend finds him and looks in a mirror, and he looks at the mirror and he just starts moaning as he sees that he is now this clay monster. And the episode says, to be continued. I thought it was one of the best endings to an episode of Batman the Animated Series ever. Uh, because the guy who's unfortunately forced to work for the mob and committing these crimes, like framing Bruce Wayne, is getting his comeuppance, but now he's this hideous, horrible monster. Um, just really, really good pacing. In the second episode, Batman cap gets out of jail and captures one of the two guys that is uh, responsible for working with Matt Hagen to frame Bruce Wayne, and Batman like peels back the top of the car with the Batplane, 
captures the guy with the hook and drags him across the skyline of Boston, uh, Boston of Gotham, uh, dipping him in and out of the water, asking him, who framed Bruce Wayne? <laughs> and the guy is scared out of his mind. And I'm watching this as a kid going, holy crap, Batman's going to kill this guy. I mean, he's literally flying him around by a handcuff attached to the bat plane all over Gotham. And it's this yeah. intense scene. And it's not until the police finally show up telling Batman to release his prisoner immediately that he finally drops him into Gotham Harbor. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up that episode because the entire time I was watching this going like, this is Clayface. Yeah. This yeah. is Clayface. And if you've never seen the episode in question, I don't know where Batman the Animated Series is available to watch, but you can, I, I think it's going to be available upcoming soon on the WB... Uh, app that they're creating which is going to have like uh all of their um you know uh superhero shows and stuff mm -hmm. um d uh including the upcoming third season of justice uh sorry uh young justice so anyway moving yeah. on with the episode um there's a whole there's a whole podcast you can check out about batman the animated series but um yeah uh, the way that the uh the makeup case works is that <clears throat> is that uh, you have to kill someone and then use their blood to pour on top of the makeup case for it to actually release the lock and open up. Mm -hmm. So it's like the payment for using the the good looking, you know, makeup kit. Correct. And I just want to point out real quick that the director of the episode, Tom McLaughlin, uh, if you uh, stay tuned to the end of the podcast, as I will have a ten minute interview with with him. And uh, for more information about Tom McLaughlin, hopefully you were listening to the beginning of the episode because he's the director <laughs> of Friday the 13th Part 6, <laughs> Jason Limps. Um, the writer of the episode, Bruce Martin, uh, has written three episodes of Friday the 13th, the series, so maybe one day we can have him on the show if he's still alive. Last time he worked was in 1997, so maybe... We'll have to look that one up. Yes, who played the uh, the bad guy? It was John Bolger, right? John Bolger, yes. Uh, he is a very handsome man, and he was on General Hospital TV series from 2006 to 2012. Wow, good stint on that show. Um, another another actor who is on, uh, I thought he was on, no, sorry, he wasn't Orphan Black. Oh, he was on Orange is the New Black. I, mean, I almost said Orphan Black. Still currently working today. Kudos on him. Getting yeah. Oh, he was in, um... He was in Patriots Day, which was uh, based on the Boston bombing of 2013 at the Boston Marathon. Ooh, yeah. And then we also have, uh, let's see, uh, Chappelle Jaffe. Dave Chappelle? Jaffe? Oh, wait. No, 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 no. Chappelle oh. Jaffe. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her name. Okay. She is the uh, dragon lady, uh, basically the opposing actor, actress that is supposed to be working on this movie with him. And uh, she was also, uh, let's see, I just had it. Uh, she's on this episode, and uh, she was on The Poltergeist, The Legacy, The Grid. Uh, Poltergeist, The Legacy was a good show. It ran for four or five seasons on Showtime. We'll never cover it because it's incredibly long. But uh, good show we're checking out. Nothing to do with the movie. It's kind of its own thing. Yeah, yeah, she's been on a couple of different uh, television shows. She was on Sliders for an episode. I love Sliders. Another Andromeda, show. the TV series. Another great show that was also uh, syndicated. Uh, Sliders was on Fox, but uh, Andromeda was uh, in syndication. 
And kind of funny thing, going back to Friday the 13th, uh, two or three of the actors from Andromeda would appear in Jason X. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the cast of Andromeda versus Jason Voorhees. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this episode opens up uh, with the film set, and we get um, a very spooky atmosphere about it because they're filming this kind of gothic film. Um, I like the the way the whole episode uh, opens, and and our cast and crew, or sorry, our cast and crew, our, our... our trio are donating non-cursed objects to the film set, and that's why they how they get encountered uh, with uh, what's going on. But they're not looking for a cursed object this time. This is one of the rare episodes where they just happen to fall into place of one and have to check the manifest. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're just kind of a a prop house, you could say, for the set. Correct. And Mickey, as soon as she eyes this, uh, the actor William Pratt. You know, he's a big actor now. You know, he's well-known. Uh, it was even joked earlier in the episode about how big this guy is and how beautiful this guy is. And that look that she gives him, who that that look, it's like she immediately, like, she got wet. You know, oh <laughs> she was, like, wanted this man so badly. And then that look was returned when he finishes the scene and, and, and eyes her, that beautiful red hair, and he's like, oh, you know, his jaw almost drops, you know, that, that feeling that it drops without actually dropping. But is he that, that big hungry. of an actor he can just pull some random nobody to be in a movie to replace the leading lady? He did. He yeah, did that. I mean, that's not how that would work at all. No, no, but, you know... Actors with lots of balls can can request certain things, and you know, as he phrased it to his director, it's like, well, you know, let's do this. You know, she's going to take a couple hours to cool off, so what's the harm? Now, there's um, what did you think of that one character, the one who gets electrocuted, the uh, very flamboyant uh, producer? <laughs> uh, well, I don't think with he the, was the uh... producer. He's the gossip. Gossip columnist. Sorry, gossip call. I, I'm sorry. Gossip columnist with his uh, very uh, o- o- overacted gay accent. Yes. Sounds yes. like it, it was very ridiculous. Sounds like he's from the cast of Will and Grace. Yeah, yeah. He was definitely using a bit of the the lispy type of uh, yeah. manner of speaking. Which, by the way, yes, I am putting down Will and Grace because it is a is a. I don't care that it came back. I don't care people like that show. That show is such a caricature of how Hollywood wrote gay people in the 90s that it should be ashamed of themselves because I've got a half a dozen gay friends and they don't talk like this, you know, or no, I can't no. even do it because I'm not a homosexual. I, I can't even I, – I, I'm not a good actor and I'm not gay, so I can't even try and do it. But I've had – I have gay friends who have done the accent to make fun of it, you know, and they're like, I don't understand – where that came from. I was like, I think it's a thing from 70s porn, and they're like, you're probably right. <laughs> no idea. No idea. Like, no. there are people that have a bit of that going on for them, yeah. but that's kind of rare. Yeah. You, know, like, you really don't hear that. Neil Patrick Harris doesn't sound like that. Um, nope. Jim Parsons from The Big Bang Theory doesn't sound like that. Nope. The current nope. actor playing Mr. Spock in the Star Trek films doesn't sound like that. Nope. No. Nope. And you hang out with gay people a little bit more than me because of your social circles involving... Uh, oh, yeah. I hang out with gay, with trans, yeah. with pan, with queer. Like, 
everyone's really invited to my parties. Yeah, that's just... although the the asexuals don't come because you know yeah. I have <laughs> kinky parties. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> um, and and Zedekah is gonna get her whole kinky episode at the end of season three because there's a whole BDSM episode coming up in yeah. season three, so she'll be taking over that one. But uh, moving on from the uh, stereotype of gay people on this TV series, uh, but hey, for somebody who asked us, there was a gay character on the show. He just got killed off. Un- yes, yes. I mean, he was a slimy gossip columnist, but, you He's know. He's still a gay character, hey, and I got an email character. asking, are we ever going to cover a show with any LGBT characters? There you go. You had one. He just got electrocuted. It, and, and just to touch a little bit on that, is that film and television have progressed over time. But this is set There's in the There's still 1980s. a lot to be done. Yeah, but this was made in the 80s where where being gay was vilified in Hollywood. Yes. Today... If you're gay, you're going to get your own TV series. Well, you know, and there's still a lot of issues there. You know, there there are, but... Polls and things like that. But you don't have gay people getting reality TV series today, like, ever back then. Oh, no, no, not at all. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, Orange is the New Black is one of the most popular shows on Netflix, and how many gay and trans characters are on that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's film has changed, and when you're actually reviewing older television, you have to keep that in mind. Exactly. Um, let's see. Uh, Mickey has no acting talent. I already went over that. Makeup case is the cursed object. Missy. Mickey... Oh, she has some talent. Uh, she did well in that little test screen. Uh, no. Um, Mickey dresses <laughs> to the nines, which by which is what I put down when she's all dressed up. She looks absolutely amazing. Well, I think she always looks amazing, but, you know, that's More just me. More so than before. Yes. She truly sparkled. Now, Mistress Zeneca, who was the makeup case owned by? John Wilkes Booth. The man who assassinated Abraham Lincoln because he was a yes. vampire hunter. Yes. <laughs> and, he, and he was kind of a failed actor. Uh, Yeah. And uh, isn't John Wilkes Booth and Abraham Lincoln... Um, how that all played out and how they caught him very similar to John F. Kennedy and uh, Robert and um, uh, uh, the uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Like, there's a lot I, of like, isn't there like a lot of similarities between those two? I I believe there are. Yeah. Now, did you ever see the TV series Bones? Uh, no, I don't really go for much much of the crime drama. Oh, really? Bones was amazing. It's about the uh, it's based on the real life uh, forensic anthropologist Kathy Reichs, and she created this character Temperance Brennan. And the show co-starred as the main lead, male lead, uh, David Boreanaz of Angel fame, as the lead uh, FBI agent. Oh, and, I'm I'm aware of it. My mom loves it. And his uh, character Celie Booth was a descendant of John Wilkes Booth. Oh, really? Truly? Yeah. Huh? And Bones found that out and. Kind of ex- not exposed it to the media, but you know, kind of blabbed about it because she's a, you know, she doesn't have any, you know, she doesn't have very, very good personal skills. She's like Sheldon Cooper, and mm-hmm. that really pissed Booth off because he knew that, and it's his family's darkest legacies. The fact that he's related to the man who killed the president of the United States, and he mm-hmm. is an FBI agent who fought for his country in the Gulf War, you know. So that really yeah. doesn't sit well with him. <laughs> you know, he he comes from a line of veterans who basically have joined the military to make up for their ancestors' bullshit. 
Yeah. Um, so, but if you saw Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, uh, Abraham Lincoln was murdered by the vampire John Wilkes Booth. Okay, now, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I have some issues there. You gotta read the book. Read the book. No, I, I, I know it's like it's like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. It's completely fictional and all that. I know, but there is definitely going to be someone somewhere that believes this to be true, and therefore is stupider uh, in the world for it. Would you be talking about Seth Graham Smith, the writer? <laughs> No, no, I'm I'm talking about people that will read it and then believe that some some of this is at least somewhat true. Well, when Seth Graham Smith wrote Abraham Lincoln Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, Twilight and uh the 200th birthday of Abraham Lincoln um books were everywhere. So he decided to combine the two ideas together and that's how we came up with it. And if you read the novel, a lot, like 90% of the facts in the novel, the novel, I'm just going to keep emphasizing that, the novel are accurate to Abraham Lincoln's history. They That's just, what I'm saying. So you you mix in some like real stuff, the, then people believe it's real. No, they, they, then those people are goddamn idiots because you. Uh, the they, world is filled with goddamn idiots. Just just put it out there. Yeah, and uh, and and uh, I want to be an American idiot. Who did that? Is that Green Day? Green Day. Yeah, wasn't that funny? Was that was written for George Bush, and now it has a whole new meaning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we're not going to get into that conversation. No, no, no. We're, Friday the 13th. Here we go. Friday the 13th. Um, I have in my notes, Mickey gets laid again, this time by the killer. Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, hey, at least she, at least Ryan's got one up on her. He has never slept with the murderer of the episode. That's true. Just victims. Yeah, just the victims. So uh, Mickey, I think, has laid, what, with two of the killers so far? Or one? Uh... Let's see. Well, she slept with the FBI agent, so he was kind of a soft villain. Yeah, he was the soft villain. So she has two, Ryan Zero and Jack, uh, just that one girl. Yeah. What? No morning cuddle? I mean, what a bastard. Don't you like to cuddle with your husband and your um, fiancé in the morning after uh, coitus? Well, we actually sleep in separate bedrooms. You do? Yeah. I like to sleep in a very, very warm room, about like 80 oh, degrees, okay. and I he likes I... to sleep in very, very cold room, about 71 degrees. Okay, see, for a minute there, I was thinking, okay, I know she's into like all sorts of otherworldly stuff, and she's going to get married, but considering what her alternate lifestyle is, is she really waiting until marriage? <laughs> no, no, hell no. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, What? You, Miss Rosetica no. of BDSM of Pennsylvania, sleep in separate beds? I'm like, that makes no sense. Um, but, oh, no, I, I totally understand that. I've heard that before. So that's, no, that's totally fine. Um, yeah. Uh, but it, it is kind of funny that immediately upon waking up, he's just like, get away from me. I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, wow, what did you get a girl an inferiority complex? <laughs> well, you know, he didn't want her to see his boils. Yeah. Um, you know, the the old messed up face was coming back, and he's like, no! I steal and, Corey's stuffed animals when I'm um, cuddling with her, and then she walks away to the bathroom, or maybe she gets up before me because she goes to work a little earlier to take a shower, and then I, I steal all of her... Um, we have these uh, Yugabo stuffed animals. Have you ever been to uh-huh. the Yugabo store? 
Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no. Okay. You look it up. That, that's all I can say. And anyone else okay. out there, look up Yugabo. Fantastic store. Especially, by the way, if you have children with autism, go mm-hmm. to the Yugabo store. That's all I can say. They'll explain it there. I don't know enough about autism to get into the conversation. Just go to the Yugabo store. If you have a autism child, relative, whatever, just go. And trust me, you'll, 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 <laughs> you will thank me and you can leave a comment and... You know, uh, some tip money in the Patreon. So, uh, Mickey sees his true face just as Jack and Ryan arrive, and she's not like... It's another Beauty and the Beast story. We've had two back-to-back Beauty and the Beast stories, because Leslie really still did love the violinist who was killing people, Mm -hmm. and Mickey, don't ask me how, has fucking fallen in love with this guy. It's like, people really... I don't believe in love at first sight. I believe in... I don't know what I believe in, but it's just ridiculous the way they do it. Well, yeah, I I see the very end of this episode with Mickey uh, being kind of ish strangled by uh, William Pratt oh, as yeah. he's kind of a, um, you know, in his natural form. His mind is gone because he's calling her Diana. Yes. And... He he. She knows that he is not himself, you know, mentally, because he's referring her to, uh, he's referring to her by a different name. She is therefore forced to say that she still loves him, kind of in this coercive type of way, in order for him to not become violent. And so he, she just like, he says to kiss her, and she just uh, just musters up the the the, the gumption and goes right into it without hesitation, which then disarms him. And then, you know, next thing you see, they're kind of collapsed in a heap on the floor crying. Mm. So she totally diffuses him by admitting that she loves him under coercion. So, like, she cared. She definitely cared. Was it love? No. But she she cared about him enough to make sure that he was comforted in this, you know, moment. You know, the entire time I am also thinking of this. It, it makes me ask this question right here, Mr. Zeneca. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Baby, don't hurt me. entire time that's all i kept thinking about these two episodes what is love mr zeneca because that seems to be what our uh, cast of characters are constantly reaching for love makes the world go round i guess that's what they say i thought it was interesting and i can't believe i'm such a moron that i couldn't figure this out myself the last thing we learned in this entire episode, which I am such an idiot, I could not believe I didn't think about it until it's mentioned. And I am a huge, huge fan of this man's work. I went out this past Halloween, even though I own two other copies of the movie, and bought on a steelbook by Best Buy with artwork by the comic book artist Alec Ross, Frankenstein. Why? Why, Mr. Zeneca, would I buy Frankenstein on a steelbook? What is the connection to this episode? <laughs> As this episode says at the very end, William Pratt is the real name for Boris Karloff. And gee, 
who directs the episode that we're talking about? Tom McLaughlin. Yes. Tom McLaughlin, in my interview with him, which you can find on the Radio Horror YouTube channel, has stated several times they wanted Jason Voorhees brought back in a very unique way. How is the monster brought to life by Dr. Frankenstein? Electricity. Lightning. And how do they bring Jason back to life in Friday the 13th at the beginning of the movie? Lightning! Lightning! It's all connected. Jason is brought back by lightning. The Frankenstein monster is brought to life by lightning. Tom McLaughlin directed the episode and it heavily cites Frankenstein as his, you know, thoughts for this, uh, for, the, for that movie. In this episode, we have kind of a Frankenstein kind of monster. He might be on not a mishmash of different people, but he's this hideous monster that can't find love because of the way he looks until he falls yep. in love with Mickey, and it becomes like a Beauty and the Beast story. When you when you start saying that one thing leads to another, you start to sound like a conspiracy theorist. It's a conspiracy for Frankenstein and Boris Karloff. Actually, I think I could probably six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon this whole thing, because what movie did Kevin Bacon first appear in, Mr. Zeneca? <laughs> Friday the 13th in 1980. Kevin Bacon did that is pretty much all the time we have here tonight on the Dead TV Podcast. But hold on, we're not over and done with yet. Don't forget you can check us out on our Twitters at ChrisDSAV. And at Elegantly Kinky. Leave us a message on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page. Please make a donation at our Patreon or Radio of Horror. And if you want to send us an email, it's thatradiohorror at gmail.com. But as I said earlier in the episode twice, we have a very special guest star who's going to be on with us right now. Please welcome Tom McLaughlin, the director of the episode in question. <laughs> 